the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. by Bill Bullington. For the next hour, you'll receive information on current market conditions and trends that could affect your financial future. If you have a question, you can participate in today's program by calling 216-901-0945. That's 216-901-0WHK. You can also reach Bill by going to his website, BullingtonCapital.com. And now, here's Bill Bullington. Well, welcome back, everybody. Like the man said, it's Bill Bullington here every Saturday morning from 11 to noon. If you hear anything that you would like more information on, please feel free to go to my website. That's BullingtonCapital.com and reach out to us. We'll try to get back to you as quick as humanly possible. And I was going to talk about a uh, just, just a few things today. The uh, change just seems like it's so much faster than it used to be in quick. In fact, it is. When you look at the amount of technology that that's come on to the forefront in the last 10 years. It's about three times more than it was in the prior 20 years and probably double what it was the 10 years before that. So very interesting, difficult to keep up with, The um, uh, extremely difficult to keep up with if you're not doing this full-time for a living. And even then, it's very difficult to come up with. <laughs> I think Elon Musk is from another planet. And uh, Jeff Bezos, unbelievably smart. These guys are driving innovation. It's mind-boggling. And uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about um, that kind of stuff today. Uh, normal format of the show is to go ahead and uh, do about the first segment on just the economy in general, where we see opportunities, where we're trying to capitalize on the investment world. Um, second part of it, we talk about fixed income. That's a uh, you know, bond CDs. Not a lot to talk about there, but uh, it's going to be changing, particularly over the next few months. They're talking about raising interest rates. That should be interesting. So you want to stay tuned for that segment. And the uh, third and final segment, we'll talk about individual stocks. I get a bunch of people that really love to talk about individual stocks and how they can recognize stocks that are that are going up real fast. Uh, by the way, that's what everybody wants. <laughs> Excuse me. Stocks that are going up r- really fast. Incidentally, just so you know, we're pre-recording this show. And uh, so the stocks I'll be talking about are the ones <coughs> excuse me, that I'm looking at on the 16th. It changes on a daily basis. Uh, one of the challenges to doing that type of investing is that it changes on a daily basis. <laughs> And you have to keep up with that. It's not that hard if you put some uh, um, some rules in place. And speaking of rules, and getting back to economy in general, the way things are shaping up, um, 
if you don't have discipline, discipline comes from following a set of guidelines that you have for yourself. They don't have to be complicated. But you need a set of guidelines to to, uh, guide your behavior because financial markets, despite the fact that the economy is growing at one of the fastest paces it's grown at in decades, uh, despite the fact that interest rates are still exceedingly low, meaning people can still get a loan to buy a house, more people can get a loan, can qualify to get a loan to buy a house, uh, despite the fact that you know we've come through a pandemic and are almost back at full capacity um, and haven't quite there's in other words there are a lot of things that are still shut down we're uh, we've got one arm tied partially behind our back and we're back it's it, it's mind-boggling and a lot of it's the technology and a lot of it's going to be technology we talked couple years ago, I, I don't even know when it was. Actually, I'll go back to this one account that I started uh, right near the beginning of the pandemic. The reason I, I started the account there was to help people learn how to manage a, a small portion of their money on their own using some of the techniques we'll talk about later in the show. And uh, it, it was a really good time because it was just about a, a little over a year before the pandemic hit. And that account is done very well. And I'm going to talk about how and why uh, that's done well. But uh, the way it ties into what I'm talking about right now with the economy is that I bought a bunch of semiconductor ETFs during that time period. They've done they done very well. Just go back and look at any ETF over the past five years. You're going to be going, wow, yeah, that's a uh, that's a real thing. And I think it's that's not over yet. The other thing that's not over yet is the volatility. You're going to have volatility. It's the market has never not been volatile. And, uh, you know, I just don't understand <laughs> why some people just keep thinking, hoping beyond hope. And I guess I do understand it. You know, I've been around long enough and I'm old enough to understand that some people just, it's hard for them to accept certain things. It goes against something some strongly held belief in their in their personality and because it's it's going against a strongly held belief they're just going to reject all the evidence you could possibly give them and a lot of them will you know take that you know they're going to take it to the wherever we go after this life <laughs> and uh, so it's it's pretty hard you have to have an open mind i think if you're going to be an investor uh and everybody needs to be an investor today when you've got interest rates that are extremely low and only likely, I mean, they're not likely to go up a lot. Um, the, the Fed was talking about raising interest rates, and there have been some articles about them raising interest rates. They're not talking about raising interest rates a lot. When you have trillions of dollars in debt and you raise interest rates, if you effectively raise interest rates across the board by 1% okay, on a trillion dollars, that's $10 billion in extra expense because we're a nice um, country. We're going to be willing to pay an extra $10 billion. Trump couldn't get $5 billion for a fence. And you're going to pay $10 billion minimally. And by the way, that's for every trillion in debt that you have. Do you know how many trillions in debt the company has? Do you, do you know what that would do? 
the, the amount of money that would go to service the interest expense on the debt would be the largest, one of the largest items on the federal budgets, the entire federal budget. It would come in right up there with Medicare and military. Maybe those three. In fact, it might even be higher than them. So I'm just not sure. I mean, I, I know a lot of politicians are pretty dumb. A lot of them are pretty smart, too. But there are a lot of dumb ones out there, and they may not understand what I'm saying right now. But you raise interest rates, and the amount of the debt service is going to cripple the government's ability to finance and fund a lot of the things that they're funding right now. So you may get cuts in government programs. And, and I doubt they're cutting Medicare or the military. So uh, not, not by much if they do. And what is that? Why, why am I even talking about that? Well, because I saw an article came in the Wall Street Journal December 16th. And the, the guy that wrote this, he's definitely a journalist, not an economist or a banker. But he wrote, How Banks Win When Interest Rates Rise. How Banks Win When Interest Rates Rise. This guy obviously doesn't know how the banking system actually works. And the point that he was making and maybe it's because it's so boring <laughs> that he just thought he would stir up the mud a little bit. I don't know. It, it, I, I could see that happening uh, easily. But he was talking about the if the Fed raised interest rates and they, they pay for overnight deposits, if they raised them, that the banks were not going to raise the rates on CDs. And they were going to pocket that difference. And I'm looking at that and I'm laughing and going, okay, that would be the first time that's ever happened. Okay, not that it can't, not that it won't, especially now that you put it out there right in the Wall Street Journal. <laughs> but and and I'm sure they're not going to raise interest rates. Um, I'm sorry, the uh, yeah, they'll raise interest rates if interest rates go up. That's the other thing. They get charged. They get charged. The banks have a lot of debt. They have a lot of overnight funds, so their expenses are going to go up. The uh, they're going to have to raise the rates eventually. If the federal government raises interest rates, they're not going to be able to stop lending and uh, pocket the difference on that. They're getting paid more and they're not making more. And by the way, a lot of the loans that they are uh, uh, servicing, you know, are those interest rates are extremely low. So that's a liability. And if you look at the, the actual cash value of the underlying bonds, when interest rates go up, that the value of those things drop. So it, it, I thought this was amazing that somebody wrote, how banks win when interest rates rise. Well, normally rising interest rates are not a good thing for banks or any other financial institutions. It, it slows things down a bit. Okay? Now, if they, keep, if they have monetary policy, they can offset that. They, there are things that they can do to help prevent that from happening, and I don't know if they're going to do it or not. And nobody knows any of this, by the way. We're all just speculating, but I just thought it was kind of uh, weird that this guy wrote this. You know, it's the first time I've I've seen in a headline that banks will win win when interest rates rise. No, that's not a good thing <laughs> because it's not like the banks are going to get lower interest rates too. The uh, I mean, or keep the low interest rates, and some of the stuff they will, but an awful lot of money is very short term. It's gonna it's gonna adjust almost immediately, which means they'll be paying more. So. But they're not going to raise their interest rates. And uh, they're going to charge more, but they're not going to raise interest rates on a CD. Well, and that's where competition comes in. Anyway, I will uh, 
get off this subject right now. If you want to see a copy of this article, you can feel free uh, to email me, and I can send you a link. It was on the Wall Street Journal, so I don't know if you don't have a uh, subscription, if you'll be able to read it. But the uh, um, anyway, it came up on the guy's, uh, the writer's name was David Benoit, and it was December 16th. So I just thought that was uh, pretty interesting. Another thing I thought was interesting about local economy, you know, cars, automobiles are a fairly significant part of the economy. And uh, I liked the, uh, this article is also in the Wall Street Journal, why a car deal will be hard to find this holiday season. And the cost of the new vehicle continues to soar with the global auto industry now a year into computer chip shortage that has shown few signs of abating in 2022. Now, the computer chip shortage. Okay, Go back and listen to this show three, four years ago. You can go look it up on uh, iTunes. Um, it's out there. And we talked about semiconductors going into everything. Well, they've gone haywire in automobiles. Back when I was talking about it, Okay. The average car had 1,500 semiconductors in it. That's what I read somewhere. So and that's wrong. Feel free to correct me. But over that time period, over the last few years, I've gotten a new car because I drive like crazy and I just kill my cars. It doesn't, you want to talk about somebody who's sore at car prices. <laughs> but the, uh, and the car I have now, it, it, it is way more automated and computerized than the one I had before it. And I have a real good friend. He's just bought a new Tesla, and you know that it's just a that's a computer on wheels. Anyway, my my point to this whole thing is that I really didn't anticipate that car sales would be slowing down because they didn't have enough capacity produce to produce the semiconductors for your cars. That just blows my mind. It's something I uh, really had not thought of. But the other thing that is really uh, shocking about that, I guess, is the average pi- price for a used vehicle has passed $30,000 for the first time. It's never been that uh, big of an increase before. The average price in paid for a new vehicle, the average price was around $44,000 in the last two months. That's a $10,000 increase be- since before the pandemic. So now I'm wondering... Now, these inflation numbers that we keep seeing, <laughs> when you go for if if the car price is $10,000 higher than it was before the pandemic and now it's 44000 that means it's 34000 That means it's it's up by more than a third. It's up by more than a third. If it's up by more than a third, you know, that's expensive. And people drive a lot of cars. I mean, everybody in this country, this country, you know, it's really different about the United States and a lot of the other um, countries who are more advanced. We have fewer people, fewer people per mile. Go Google this sometime. Look at the people per mile, per square mile in America versus the European Union. They're like four or five to one, four or five to one. That made a lot of sense to me after uh because I, you know, I'm, I like to go to IKEA. I really, I hardly ever buy anything there, but I, I like to look around, <laughs> so it's fun for me. And you see all these little tiny apartments that they put in there with all this stuff, and it looks like apartments for little people. But uh, anyway, very, very popular. And then it, it kind of dawned on me, like, oh yeah, they've got like five people per square mile uh, relative to the number of people per square mile in America. 
So it does make sense that they would make things smaller, more convenient the, uh, um, if they want to have a, a decent lifestyle. And uh, I think in, in England, they have, uh, they have 100-year mortgages. I just heard my uh, little sign there that says I have to take a real quick commercial break. You're listening to Bill Bullington. I'm right here on 1420. Stay tuned because I will be right back. Feliz Navidad, Feliz Navidad, Feliz Navidad, Prospero Año y Felicidad. I wanna wish you a Merry Christmas, I wanna wish you a Merry Christmas, I wanna wish you a Merry Kings of Orient are bearing gifts we traverse afar. Field and fountain, moor and mountain, following yonder star. Born a king on Bethlehem. Okay, I'm back. Hey, if you hear something here you'd like more information on, feel free to email me. It's bill at bullingtoncapital.com. You can go to my website, um, it's bullingtoncapital.com as well. Or just Google it, and uh, yeah, I'd love to hear from you, and if I can answer any questions for you, I, I will try. And a lot of my clients, by the way, this is uh, one of the ways that I can continue to communicate with them. I think it's really funny. Hey, I heard you on the radio talking about this, and uh, I do that all the time. So very fascinating. You know, we're just talking about uh, car prices going up, inflation. Um, that's one of the big risks right now is inflation. It It's at a rate that it hasn't been in decades and it's, it's rising faster than it has in decades. And, and that's tough. That, that means your money just buys a little bit less. Now the positive to inflation is that stocks, companies like Procter and Gamble, uh, Clorox, you know, they can raise prices by four or 5% and you really won't notice that that much. And a four or 5% increase in their sales is a big deal. So they can keep up. And that's why stocks, personal opinion here, that's why stocks have done better than bonds over time. Although, you know, you need bonds because they don't fluctuate, they don't fluctuate like stocks do. Boy, I have so much interference in my headset right now. This is pretty funny. Anyway, bonds don't fluctuate like stocks do. Stocks fluctuate a lot. Even the conservative stocks are going to be down at 50% at some point in time. The conservative stocks. And I'm still surprised that other people are surprised that they're that volatile because I've only been saying this for 30 years on this show. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Actually, it was 1996, so uh, 2006 would be 10, 2016 is 20. Wow, almost 30 years. That is amazing. So I've only been saying that for close to 30 years now. And people are still surprised by it. Uh, it's just people that have been listening for a long time. But it's not like stocks will go down and stay down. And, and I really don't believe that. When I look at the banking system, the way that it's set up, we have inflationary periods. We have deflationary periods or periods that are flat. Markets never staying the same. Nothing ever does. The only constant in this world is change. And if you... Uh, have a banking system like ours set to back up and try to bail out all these big companies 
when they make mistakes, and by the way, they should bail them out because your money's invested in them, whether you even know it or not. Uh, if you have a 401k plan, or if you have a pension plan at work, which is a little unusual these days, it's, it's hard not to have some money in stocks because those plans are going to invest some of the money in stocks. And uh, the vast majority of people, actually 85% of American households have at least a little bit of money in stocks. So they get upset and they're getting upset when they, when I say things like, well, you know, the companies will just raise prices and, and that will cause their, their revenues to go up. It'll improve their profit margins. And over time, it makes that's what makes their stock go up. And they get upset by that. And I'm like, that is too funny. It's just the way it is. And that's why if you're not investing in stocks with some portion of your money, you you know, hopefully you're in your late 80s because your life expectancy is not that long. <laughs> If if you're not in your late 80s, you're going to need those stocks in there to to grow. They're going to need to outpace inflation. They are going to fluctuate a lot. You just have to put up with it, and especially in this interest rate environment where bonds are paying nothing. I mean, bonds are literally paying nothing. And as an alternative to bonds, you know, I've been talking a lot about s- several different types of annuities, and I'll just talk a little bit about it today. It's funny. I understand uh, people's hesitance to invest in annuities. A lot of the annuity products out there are really expensive and the guarantees that they make are not that good. Some of them in the past few years have improved pretty tremendously. And when you compare it to fixed income, what you could get in a bond that's relatively safe, like a government bond or a triple A rated corporate bond, uh, a insured tax-free municipal bond, when you compare the, the income that you can generate from those that they will guarantee, there's really no comparison. I mean, there's none. Here, here's a quick example. Guy, 64 years old, or a female, 64 years old, wants to retire next year, wants to start taking Social Security. He's going to be taking it early, by the way. <clears throat> but the, um, or maybe doesn't even want Social Security, but it's going to be on Medicare. The Medicare premium is going to be somewhere around 500 bucks a month, her supplemental policy with all the bells and whistles. The average one is actually a lot less than that. I just I put like one of the more uh, comprehensive with the drug and a whole bunch of dental and all that crap on it. Anyway, so just for purposes of displaying what might happen in some situation. <laughs> I think we call that a hypothetical. Anyway, so if you're going to be spending around 500 bucks a month for a supplemental policy, okay, that's about $6,000 a year. If you were to do that at 1%, which you can't get a 1% CD anymore, okay? If you did that at 1%, you'd need $600,000 to do that. Or you could use one of the fixed index annuities. And uh, I pulled this right off the nationwide website. If you email me, I will email you this website. You can get on there. You don't have to talk to me at all if you don't want to. I understand completely. Yeah, I'm sure my uh, fiance feels that same way a lot of times. <laughs> anyway. So if you put a hundred thousand bucks in there and a year, you have to wait for a year to be able to draw the income and a year you'd be getting that $6,000 a year. So instead of having to pay 500,000, actually it'd be probably closer to 600,000 because you'd have to pay tax on that 1% interest that you're getting. So instead of paying, investing 600,000 in a CD, you could just put a hundred thousand bucks in here and there you go pays that premium for you and will pay it as long as you live. And uh, even if the investment runs out of money, 
even if the investments were to perform poorly and uh, there's no money left there, they would continue to pay. That's one of the things I really like. One of the things I like about it. Uh, this has got some other features on there. There's a, uh, a death benefit feature. If you died before all the money was spent, the money that you had invested, the company would pay up uh, the balance to your beneficiaries. So I'm going to just kind of leave that alone there, and I'll take a different example every month or every month, every week. This was, this example was somebody that's getting ready to retire. They're, they're ready to go on Medicare. And they just wanted to see how much money they needed to put away to be able to pay that premium. Uh, and by the way, the premiums will increase over your, over the years. So your other investments had better be growing a little bit to make up for some of that. And uh, that's another thing I, I kind of wanted to talk about uh, as well. It was the, uh, the fact that inflation is always going to be with us. And you need an inflation, a portion of your money should be invested in stocks so that uh, you have a chance of growing your assets over time faster than you're spending them. Okay. Now, if you're going to spend assets, you're probably, it, it depends on your age and your, your risk tolerance. I have this software I got from BlackRock. BlackRock's the largest investment manager on the planet. You know, they probably got there a lot. There's always an element of luck, but <laughs> I'm going to tell you, it, they have really smart people there. So if you're wondering what would be a sustainable distribution rate from your savings to supplement your retirement income, um, we've got a, a little program there. You have to be a licensed uh, investment advisor to be able to use it, or you're supposed to be, anyway. And I can put that in there for you and tell you, that, okay, this is, here's the range of income that you should stay within. They call it the sustainable income. What kind of income could I get? in retirement on my money. So if you'd like to see that, yeah, you know, hit me up with an email. It's bill at bullingtoncapital.com. I can put that in there for you. It doesn't take that long to do. And, uh, you know, we can talk about it. I can send it to you. You, you don't even have to talk to me if you don't want to. Just say, look, I just want the information. I don't want you to talk to me. <laughs> and uh, I'll, I'll get to you eventually. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But that was the... Uh, a really nice thing I thought that they did a, a while ago. The the math behind the the software is, I mean, it, it's mind boggling, and I think they did a pretty good job. I actually I think they did an excellent job, and it's a uh, uh, anyway, it's a free service uh, available through your uh, an investment advisor. Anybody that's an investment advisor, incidentally, if you have an investment advisor that you really like, just call them up or her. And ask her or him to uh, get on that, that site and say, what is my sustainable income estimate, according to BlackRock, who's really fond of pointing out that they use the supercomputers from uh, IBM, I forgot what the name of it is, to uh, to go and make these projections. So, nice. Uh, it's really nice. It's a tool that I would, I would, uh, I have more faith in than 99% of the stuff I see on the internet, um, which... I have very little faith in 99% of the stuff I see on the internet. And uh, I think that's kind of funny actually. But um, anyway, I'm losing my train of thought here. <laughs> Don't get old people. <laughs> Not really old. I think it's this cold. This cold has been hanging around for two weeks. I've gotten tested twice for COVID. Came up negative both, both times. And, uh, but this cold just doesn't want to seem to go away. So anyway, one of the reasons I've been doing most of my meetings on the phone, on my 
clients have been around for a long time. They don't really care. They're not that afraid. And I tell everybody, uh, you know, you want to come in. You know, I've I had COVID. I've uh, been tested twice recently and uh, was negative both times. But, uh, you know, right now I've got a um, pretty hefty cold and just doesn't seem to want to go away. But that's another reason that I have a fairly significant amount of my money invested in healthcare stocks. <laughs> that and the fact that the fastest growing pe- segment of the population, 60 and over. Every day, 10,000 people are turning 60. Every day. That is amazing. So you know what happens as you get older? Your body starts to wear out. That's just part of the process. So I think the, the future for healthcare is pretty good. Even without the pandemic, it was very good. And with the pandemic there, these guys are printing money. I mean, it's amazing. So you want to see a silver lining to a dark cloud? It's the people that are providing these services. And governments are stepping up and, and paying a lot of the bills. So I like to have a portion of that in my portfolio. I think it makes sense. It's really helped me out. The long-term track record of that is really good. Uh, if you'd like to see those, those are things where you actually have to call and we have to have a conversation because my license with the company that provides that data requires that I'm speaking directly with a prospect or a client. And I'm not sure how they would ever know that. But if I just started blanketing it and sending it out all over the place, you know, blast, then uh, they, they can find that out. So I'd like to stay on the, uh, the right side of this firm. <laughs> so you can call and just tell me it's the healthcare model that you want to talk about. And you know, it's a five minute conversation. And uh, I put the healthcare along with the semiconductors and it's called overweighting, you know, sectors. And that's one of the things that I do. It's a little bit different than what your average advisors are going to do. Average advisors, especially if you work for a big firm, are going to have a set of rules set down by them, by the firm. You got to stay within these guidelines and you're not allowed to go out of those guidelines. If you go out of those, you're fired. So I don't have those restrictions. That's the biggest difference between my practice and someone you might go to at a really big company. Uh, we deal with, we have Fidelity, by the way, they're one of the big, they are the biggest brokerage firm in the world. And uh, they've got, I think, slightly more assets under management than BlackRock does. So uh, that's awfully good. A lot of resources there they make available to people like me that I wouldn't get if I were working at another firm. And I don't work for them. I work for myself. And we also use Axos. Uh, it used to be E-Trade. They, they trade advisor services. That It's an online bank. And, man, are those guys sharp. Holy cow. I can't imagine that they're going to stay on their own for that much longer. I think somebody's going to come in and buy them out. But anyway, since they took over for the E-Trade, their back office, that is slick. And you should see the uh, the stuff that they have there. You can do budgeting if you want to. Now, that stuff um, we don't do a lot of because it's very intense. Uh, it's not a, a service that we charge for, so uh, we'll basically set you up with it and let you uh, figure it out. And you have to call their tech support when you get stuck somewhere, but they're okay. That's improving. And we're working on an, an option for our clients that is independent of that. I think is probably going to be a little bit easier. Uh, anyway, I'm, I digress all over the place. Don't you just love that? <laughs> Drives me nuts in somebody else. But uh, when it's me, then, you know, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Kind of. Um, so anyway, I lost my whole, uh, 
train of thought here. Oh, we were talking about the uh, fixed index annuities. Um, and I only got about 10 seconds. I will leave that there. If you have any questions on anything you hear, just feel free to email me. You know, it's, I think yeah, I'd probably spend three or four hours a day just returning emails. Yeah, probably, yeah, about three or four hours. So I just hear my buzzer. That means my segment is up. I will uh, take a quick commercial break. This is Bill Bullington. I'll be back in just a couple minutes. Well, you know Dasher and Dancer and Prancer and Vixen, Comet and Cupid and Donner and Blitzen. But do you recall the most famous reindeer of all? Talking about Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Had a very shiny nose. And if you ever saw it, you would even say final segment of today's show and I'm going to talk about individual stocks because that's what people like. <laughs> I can't I can't tell you how many times I get requests for me to talk about individual stocks. And I keep saying I've got to write this. I've got to write another book. I wrote a little booklet. It's called Look Out for the Bull. That's the same name of that website that publishes the lists that these stocks show up on. And uh, it's interesting. It, it's not nearly as difficult intellectually as most people think it is. And the problem is they keep looking for the magic formula. And they're not, uh, not aware that it, there isn't a magic formula. Um, there are just tendencies. And stocks of, that have certain characteristics have certain tendencies. And those tendencies sometimes follow through. And uh, lead to higher share prices, and sometimes they don't. And you have to make decisions. Are you going to keep it? Are you going to sell it and move on? Um, if you're an investor, you're not really looking at stock price movement all that much. If you're an investor, you're looking at the business, and you're trying to evaluate the business, you're trying to think about how much is this business actually worth. That's where you should start. And how... How do you come to that? What, well, what is it actually worth? There are books written on that topic. But a really simple one is to look at the earnings yield. That's the earnings or profits divided by the share price. Because if you were the owner of the whole business, and I got this idea from Ben Graham, who was Warren Buffett's graduate school teacher and taught him how to pick stocks. If you're, if you're looking at the earnings as a percentage of the share price, it would tell you if you owned the whole company and you were the owner of the, the whole thing, that's what he taught was pretend you're the owner. Um, because when you're buying one single share of a company, you're buying ownership in a company. And I always liked that idea. I thought it was pretty neat. It's done pretty good for Warren Buffett. <laughs> so if you pretend that you're going to be an owner, and when, when you buy shares, you are technically an owner of that company. You might own a very, very, very small part of it, but you're an owner. So if you were an owner 
wouldn't you be concerned with the amount of money that you're going to get in a return for having purchased the stock? Of course you would. I mean, everybody does, except for the uh, people that, that don't know any better, which there are a lot of. But you know, if you were legitimately looking at a business and thinking about buying a piece of the business, incidentally, a dividend, that's a return of those profits to the shareholders, okay? That's what dividends are. They're a portion of the profits. Almost nobody pays 100% of their profit. Sometimes a company will pay, will uh, borrow money to pay a dividend because they were losing money during that period and they didn't want the, the investors who were relying on the dividends to sell their shares and tank the stock. Now, that's very rare these days that that ever happens, but it, it used to, or at least it was part of the thought process that people made when they were selecting stocks. Anyway, long story short, the earnings yield, take the earnings divided by the share price. What do you get? Is Are you happy with that? How much do you think it will grow by? Now you're looking at it kind of like you'd look at a CD. So if a company was out there and had uh, $20, it was selling for $20 and it had a dollar's worth of profit, well, a dollar is 5% of 20. Is 5% good? In this environment, 5% is really good. And this, in, in the long run of the stock market, that's been the average earnings yields right around 5%. Okay. Nowhere near that right now because the share prices are up so high. But interest rates are also 1.6 on a 10-year treasury. So, you know, they're, they're really not overpriced if interest rates are going to remain at these low levels for a, a long time period. That was one of the other reasons that I was thinking, yeah, I'm not sure anybody's got the guts to raise interest rates. Uh, and one of the reasons, it's not a big reason, but it's it's a reason, is that you raise interest rates, an awful lot of money's come into the stock market in the last four or five years. And a lot of people would, would, would panic and sell if they raised interest rates and then institutions started transferring money back into short-term uh, higher returning investments. That big sucking sound you'd be hearing all over the world would be the money pulling out of the stock market. So, and I know that they take, you know, at least these Fed managers take some interest in that. In fact, they've been more interested in the stock market and other financial markets rather than just the U.S. banking system than any other Fed um, administration that's ever existed. And I think it's a good thing. So I think it's a really good thing. I, I I really like the guys. I, you know, it, it, it restores my faith in in God and that He loves Americans because He put a bunch of really smart people in charge of, <laughs> in charge of things that are really important. You know, I think it's funny that we vote over the uh, political president when the the guy with all the power is the guy that controls the purse strings, controls the 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 Fed. You know, without the Fed, we're nothing. They're the ones that they finance everything. <laughs> So uh, those guys have way more power than a president does. Uh, it's financial power. And, you know, they could take actions to hurt or help the economy if they were ever uh, evil-minded. And uh, knock on wood, that never happens. But the uh, I just think it's really funny how much power these guys have and, and how few people recognize that. It's a big deal. And anyway, so back to the earnings yield thing. Take the... Earnings divided by the share price, and if they don't have earnings, you can look up earnings estimates, by the way. And that's that's actually extremely important to shorter-term investors. <clears throat> if you're a long-term investor, then you just look at the balance sheets, come up with a valuation, and, and if it's selling for half of that, you buy it and you wait. That's the way that works. You just buy it and you wait. Yeah, If you're a uh, 
somebody who wants to be a little bit more active. I like the intermediate term. Short-term trading is not for me. I don't have time for that. Neither does anybody else that doesn't do it professionally, by the way. You cannot short-term trade successfully except by luck now because you're competing against computers who are, those computers are, are parked right outside. The, their buildings are, are right outside the building from the New York Stock Exchange and they're using fiber optic. You will never beat their speed. And if you make money day trading, it's going to be luck. It's not going to be skill. And you'll eventually give that money back and more. And uh, I know that's true for anybody that's tried it for any length of time. And if you had a a couple billion dollars and could set up, you know, rent space close to the exchanges and and get some really fast um, data and hire a bunch of programmers, yeah, you you could do that same type of stuff that those guys are doing. But uh, it takes an enormous amount of capital to be able to do that. And even then, you might not get the uh, uh, okay and the authority to do that. And I just think it's legalized front running. That's, that's what I think it is. If, if you don't know what that means, don't worry about it. Uh, it's not going to affect us anyway, cause we're not going to be involved in that. But if you do look at something uh, that, and I got in the habit of doing this because, you know, back in the nineties before most people had even a, a, a desktop computer, it was a, uh, it was easier to do and it was fun and it was very profitable. It, it still works the same kind of way it did before. It's just faster now, and stocks are more volatile. So you're getting higher volatility, higher fluctuation over shorter time periods. That makes it a lot more challenging. But as I'm looking down at uh, some of these companies, this is interesting. Uh, these are the ones that I'm, I'm running a scan during the day. I normally like, like to run the scan at the end of the day. But I'm running a scan during the day just because I'm uh, pre-recording and first stock that comes up is is a medical distribution company called McKesson. I'm sure a lot of doctors and people in the Cleveland Clinic area know who that company is. Uh, this is an interesting one. It's a uh, coal company, Arch Resources. Don't know why that one's running. Not going to really ask either. <clears throat> Consumer Advanced Auto Parts came up on the scan. That's pretty interesting. It's got a price to sales ratio one point two three. It's not that low for that industry, but it's not that high either. It's just slightly above. Uh, are below long-term averages for that type of company. Um, how do I know that? Well, I've been doing it a long time. By the way, you don't have to know anything about that to be able to, um, what you call it, to be able to trade stocks. All you really need to know is to how to read a chart, how to set your stop losses in uh, trailing stops, and you're good to go. It's a. Uh, um, it sounds a lot easier than it is, incidentally. Because it sounds like it's super easy, and it looks super easy when somebody explains it to you and shows you the charts that I'm using. One of these days, hopefully, we'll be able to get back to doing some of the seminars that we've always done, and I'll be able to show you this stuff. Because a lot of it's working; uh, it goes through phases. There are phases. There's time periods where it won't work well at all, and then all of a sudden, boom! It just starts working again, and uh, you make a lot of money real fast, and then you go back to struggling again. So that's another challenge. If, if you're not semi-retired, you probably shouldn't be doing this uh, unless you are an extremely well-disciplined person. If you've got an, a really high level of, of self-discipline, and you could do this. You could absolutely do this. And sometimes the, the, the discipline's easier to find if you, uh, if you really like it. Like, I like it. Interactive Brokers came up, IBKR. And it's a bonus skin, and it's a cha- it's a classic looking breakout pattern. Uh, the company's not 
grossly underpriced. It's not grossly overpriced. Uh, it's got a nice looking chart. I like the fact that it's 79 bucks because now that you're paying no commission, it doesn't really matter what the price is. A lot of people like to buy the stocks under 10 bucks. Yeah, that's why you keep losing your money, by the way. And I won't go into that right now. But you want the higher the price, the better, the easier they are to trade and the safer they are to trade. So we'll come back to that topic next week. Carlisle Companies. This thing's been coming up all the time on the the scans, and they're a building materials company. You know how backlogged building materials are? And I was supposed to be in my new office a month ago, and we're not going to get in there until April, and it's because of a lot of the materials that they couldn't get. Uh, and the reason I'm moving, by the way, is just across the street from where I am today. And I'm, I'm moving there because the brokerage firm next door to me merged with another brokerage firm, and they wanted all this space on our floor, so they bought, they paid for the move. <laughs> and uh, it worked out pretty good. So anyway, I'll be right across the street, and we will have a, a meeting facility there that's really nice. And that was one of the reasons I, I thought this is, it, yeah, this is pretty cool. Uh, there's a little amphitheater in there. Um, I know there's, there's this guy I've been talking to forever about, you know, doing a investment club meetings. We'll be able to do them there. And uh, if they get too many for that little room, there's another room next to it that actually will hold a lot. It'll be a little harder, harder to see into it. But anyway, pretty cool facilities. Uh, here's a company called UMA, and this is a communication service. This one's really volatile, man. It is all over the place. Uh, so that means it's probably a super small cap. And uh, anyway, this is another one that, uh, you know, we're talking about. Healthcare sector, Baxter International, uh, Medical Instruments and Supplies. And uh, if you're anywhere near, uh, if you're um, in the healthcare industry, there's a pretty good chance that you've heard of that company, Baxter International. Well, this stock came up on the scans, 83 bucks. I wouldn't look at this one as running real far, real fast, because it, it's a big company. And the, the valuation on it's I mean, the, the amount of uh, value in the stock is large. They typically don't fly like that. I'm surprised it even made the uh, the short-term screen. But anyway, the one coming right next from that is Republic Services. That's the industrial waste. That's funny. Those are guys that I have from my place. We uh, take our garbage. <laughs> the uh, It's only got a 3.5 price-to-sales ratio. That's actually a little high for that type of industry, but you know who knows? Um, by the way, one of the nice things about this is if you don't know anything about valuations, you don't have to. You could literally take a dartboard, post up the list of stocks that made the scan that day, throw the dartboard at it, whichever stocks it landed on, you could buy those. Make sure you follow the position sizing and sell rules on the Lookout for the Bull website, and you can you could do well. In fact, when I've done that in the past, it's you know, I've done as well or better as I did by spending a whole lot of time trying to analyze these companies. I know that was a riot. There's a uh, banking company called Mercantile Banking, AMTB. Price to sales ratio, 3.5. That's kind of normal for a bank, but they're, uh, um, so I don't know if I would really like that or much. I like to see, if I have my way, I'd like to see that its price to sales ratio is, is below its industry average. Uh, and if it's not, I want to mo- see that the sales are growing by at least 10% or more because, we're looking for stocks that have the potential on a fundamental basis. That means they're attractive to people who look at things like how much profit the bank's generating or the company's generating. 
in their sales. Those are fundamentals. I like to see companies who are attractive on a fundamental basis who are also moving higher really fast. That's the whole idea. And here's another one. Uh, Sherwin-Williams, this, this thing is killing me. Yeah, Sherwin-Williams, the paint company. It's unbelievable how well that stock has done over the past 10 years. I mean, it is mind-boggling. And it comes up again today. I'm like, what? Anyway, oh, there goes my signal. I uh, guess I'm running out of time. Well, listen, I've been talking for a lot. I've been uh, for a long time anyway. And uh, if you'd like to talk to me in person, uh, you can always reach out to me on my website. It's bill at bullingtoncapital.com. Feel free to go there and uh, reach out. I'll try to reach back to you as quick as I possibly can. I know the holidays are coming. That's going to be pretty hard. But uh, I've got to run right now. It's been a pleasure. Have a good week, everybody. Good luck and good investing. You just caught another edition of the Bullington Capital Report, broadcasting every Saturday at 11 a.m. on AM 1420, The Answer. If you have a question and you'd like to speak to Bill personally, you can call him at 330-664-0700. That's 330-664-0700. Or online at BullingtonCapital.com. That's BullingtonCapital.com. Past performance may not be indicative of future results. Therefore, no current or prospective client should assume that the future performance of any specific investment, investment strategy, including the investments and or investment strategies recommended and or purchased by advisor or product made reference to directly or indirectly will be profitable. Different types of investment involve varying degrees of risk, and there can be no assurance that any specific investment will either be suitable or profitable for a client's investment portfolio. No client or prospective client should assume that any information presented serves as the receipt of or substitute for personalized investment advice from the advisor or any other investment professional. The preceding program has been paid for by Bullington Capital Management, LLC. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.